Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, the podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today on the podcast, I spoke with James Austin about his thoughts on global citizenship. James is the Assistant Superintendent for Finance and Operations at a PK-12 school district in Georgia. He shares his journey to find a career that combines finance and teaching. The many positive influences that his family has had on him demonstrates rootedness in his home state of Georgia, while expressing a spirit of entrepreneurship about how to go beyond what has been done before. James is a committed global citizen to his school district and encourages young people to be the change they wish to see in the world. Enjoy the conversation. My name is James Austin. I'm from Macon, Georgia. I currently reside in Macon, Georgia, and I am the Assistant Superintendent for Finance and Operations at Twiggs County Public Schools, PK through 12 school in a rural setting in middle Georgia. Hi, James. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And can I just say that I've, I've only been to uh, Georgia once. It was to Atlanta. And I had such an amazing time, like just loved the people there. Super kind that that Southern hospitality is truly a thing it's coming from a Californian. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, it, it's just their demeanor, their, their, their accent, the way they carry themselves. So I feel like, you know, in our conversations, uh, in our interactions, uh, you truly embody that that kind of Southern spirit, and um, I'm just so excited to to have you share a little bit more about what uh, what informed you as a person, but also as a professional, as an educator. I think you really have uh, accomplished so much, and um, have so many other grand ambitions as well that I'd love to hear, and just kind of how this ties into the concept of global citizenship as well. Understanding your impact is much bigger than just in your immediate district, right, within the schools, but beyond to Georgia and, you know, dare I say, to the world, right? So um, it's really wonderful to have you on the podcast. And uh, yeah, let's let's start, start off with this kind of broad question. Um, I, I like to have my, my guests share a little bit more about their professional background, the journey, the, the various decisions that they took at different forks in the road. So if you can kind of share some of those critical uh, junctures in your career, I think that would be really informative to kind of build out this conversation about global citizenship. Absolutely. Uh, my career started in financial services. I wanted to become a financial advisor or an investment banker and work on Wall Street in New York. Uh, coming out of Morehouse College and being a finance major, that was the go-to um, for anyone that came through the business department in that concentration. Obviously, um, my work and activities was geared toward that. And I often tell people that the forks in life can guide you to the right direction or it can take a detour to get back on the right track. And I'm more appreciative of the delay I had with deciding what type of career I wanted. Um, I did have an internship um, working with a financial service company, enjoyed it as a market analyst. And I was sure that that's what I wanted to do. And an opportunity was not available for me to transition to. And the gentleman at the time offered a secretary-like position to him and said, hey, you can just learn the ropes. And at the time I said, well, as much as this would benefit me later, just by being mentored by you, I don't think the amount of money I paid for this degree would lend to me working as in that type of capacity. Um, so fast forward, my daughter Taylor was born um, that spring of me graduating from Morehouse. So I didn't have the chance to work in the setting to where I had commissions as the large portion of my salary. I needed stability because I had a little girl to care for. And going into the summer, in graduating, I did not have a job. I was hoping that I was going to go into teaching and work for Teach for America. That was my initial um, plan after 
not have an opportunity in financial services. So I knew I loved finance and I knew I loved teaching and I wanted to marry the two, if you will. And I think speaking things to existence, <laughs> it kind of manifests itself here because shortly after my mother, who's a cosmetologist, cosmetologist, she was uh, performing a service for one of her clients. And this particular lady was a superintendent in a rural school district. Uh, luckily, she was from my hometown. We mutually knew each other because of my mother. And she asked the question, well, what what is your son doing now after he's graduated from school? And she said, well, he's still looking for an opportunity and kind of told her the story and the things that happened. And she paused. She said, you know what? Tell him to call me next week. And so she introduced me to a guy, the superintendent in another county in a rural district that was looking for a chief financial officer. But the way they addressed the position that was saying that, hey, it's just bookkeeping work, just an accountant. They just need someone to come in and get their stuff together. But when I applied for the job, it was a C-level position and I fell on the floor because I'm 21 and you want me to perform and act in a capacity that's reserved for senior leadership, 20 plus years of experience. So nonetheless, that was in public education and it was in finance. So I often tell people, I did not choose my career path. It kind of chose me. And uh, I tell my daughter often that you're the reason that daddy is on this path he's on, because if you wouldn't have not came, I probably would have been out of Georgia and traveling and doing something else. So that's how I end up uh, in the finance space. And when I moved up to my current school district as a CFO, I had really developed my leadership acumen at that time. And new leadership brings new opportunities, and they saw fit to promote me to the assistant superintendent. Wow, that's 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 amazing. I, I feel like there's there's so many little nuggets of uh, wisdom in terms of how you just allow life to kind of take you as if it was a current in in one direction or the other, and that you know it's it's not necessarily about like you know having this rigid mindset of it has to be this right thinking maybe after graduating that, you know, it's, or while you were still at Morehouse, right? Wall Street, that's like, that's the desired goal. Uh, it's, this is what it has to be, but recognizing, um, you know, other values in, in your life. You mentioned your daughter being a tremendous, you know, one, um, and then seeing where that took you. Um, so I feel like, you know, being open to those opportunities, of course, having that sense of urgency to, um, you know, take, take any kind of suggestions and especially one from from your mother right like I think that's incredible like networking and also good fortune to to be able to like you know find this this rural district and then what what an opportunity it's really accelerated your your learning and uh, set you up for many many big things so um you know one thing I, I wanted to to ask about because like even though it was quite a jump right from from, you know, after graduating and then getting to this like C-level, you know, position, like you said, um, you, you must have demonstrated, you know, the kind of like acumen of like, I can, I can do it or like, you know, trust in me, I have these skills and, and where did those skills come from? I know you, you've spoken a lot, great deal about your alma mater, Morehouse College. Um, every time you, you, you say the word Morehouse, I feel like your face lights up just a little bit more, which is beautiful. And I think it's it's wonderful to have such pride in, in one's alma mater. So I, I would love to hear um, maybe a little bit about your decision, what what got you to Morehouse, why Morehouse, and how did that set you up for success with your current role? Sure. Um, so my family, I start there, has entrepreneurial spirits. Uh, going back to my great-grandfather, uh, the work that he did um, working as a sharecropper during that time to purchase the land that he later used as an economic vehicle for the family. And education for him was not a priority at the time. However, he knew the importance of providing stability, networking, and things of that nature. So even though he was not on paper or, you know, looked at as qualified to do the things he did. I mean, he sat with uh, 
sitting governors, senators, the sheriffs used to come sit with him and he had no more than a seventh grade education. It was not coming. So I think that the lineage of doing things that are not coming started there. It then translates to my mother, again, being an entrepreneur. Um, ironically, she wanted to be a lawyer. And when she was giving birth to me, and after I came into the world, she decided she needed to do something that was more readily accessible to pretty much finance a child in this sense. And just that grit, I think determination and that no fail attitude, I think that spirit um, I inherited from her. And then my father had the audacity to be an entrepreneur too. So I get a double whammy. Um, so he's in sales. And I think I learned the way to connect with people, how to uh, give people hope and understanding of a product. And I was the product at the time. And But neither at the time had a formal four-year education or a technical education, high school diploma, and they just pretty much learned from the world. And so there was several generations of that. So when I went to Morehouse, I wanted to take what they taught me and refine it in a setting of academia. And I think the tools that I learned from Morehouse College on how to be well-balanced, spoken, read, traveled, and dressed, those tenants gave me the foundation of the confidence I needed. And the network was there. So if I did not know anything about uh, accounting or finance, I had people I could call. And I had enough uh, charisma to where even if they wanted to say, hmm, he's not ready, they'll say, I believe in this young man, we'll give him a chance. So I think it's just a combination of a lot of things that led me to not necessarily being prepared, but being able to stand in that moment and figure things out. Yeah, thank you. I, I feel like speaking of, of one's family is, is so important, right? It's the literal foundations with which we're able to build ourselves and really come to terms with our, our own sense of identity and um and the way that you you kind of brought in this brought this this theme right of entrepreneurship of, of grit of really being able to manifest that which is um so necessary to keep on keeping on but also of building this future that is better with each successive generation and um and i think that that's such an incredible legacy to be to be you know given um, and yeah, definitely, you know, brings us up to like where, where we are at right now or where you are at really, um, cause this is about your story, but I think that, um, yeah, being able to speak so highly of, of those that came before us, I think that's, that's really wonderful. Those are the roots, right. Of, of kind of like who you are. So yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I, I say that because I feel like, you know, in this journey, right, it's, it's very personal, but, um, it's also, one that um, comes with like various other, you know, supports and, and peoples. And so as you're, you know, as you made your way uh, to, to Morehouse and then, um, you know, after, after graduating, um, you know, you had, you had your, your daughter. Um, I feel like that, that initial decision, right. Of kind of charting out where the next step will be um, must've felt a little daunting, right. Um, maybe if you could share a little bit more about, the kind of um, stressors that are put onto, uh, you know, a young parent, uh, and trying to make sense of like, well, I I've received all of this knowledge, and I have this network, but now I have to get a job, right? Like, maybe yeah. could you speak a little bit about like what you were really up against? I know that you know you you spoke, you kind of you know you had to jump for the sake of brevity, right, to say that oh well there was this networking your your mother kind of connected you and this and that but like where were you at kind of on like a almost like emotional level or you know spiritual level I don't know like could you maybe unpack a little bit of like what you were experiencing in that moment because I think it's something that many people have experienced themselves maybe you know in different kind of arrangements not necessarily with starting a family but just it can seem somewhat daunting to then decide all right this is my career right yeah I think um, my father now we now we have a, a great relationship. You know, we've we've always, of course, known one another. Um, 
but the consist consistency of his uh, parenting wasn't there, right? So I knew that I wanted to be a different type of father to my child. So that was the first trigger. You know, I wanted to be involved from birth until they graduated, until they was married, and et cetera. And in order for me to commit to that type of parenting, I needed to provide. So that that was the first thought that came through my mind. Um, of course, when I understood and knew that um, she was about to come into the world, I had eight months of just that stress of, I need to finish college. Um, that's the first thing. It was fall semester when I knew that she, um, Taylor's mom was pregnant. And I said, gosh, this is a different type of pressure now because uh, I wanted to do some social things on campus that I had to delay because I needed to really focus at the time to get the highest GPA I could, to go to the right networking event and et cetera. Um, so, and trying to work on campus to at least have a savings because I didn't know what they what a baby needed at the time. You know, I thought about pampers and strollers and things like that. And, you know, so I was just really confused about that for the longest. So I was trying to be as prepared as possible. And I think just in that moment in the spring, because um, she was born in February, I knew then that I really had to make a decision because benefits was key. I had to take this girl to the doctor if she needed it. So I could not have a job or just to say, hey, I'm generating revenue. I needed a career that was stable. And that's the conversation my grandfather and I had and said, whatever you do, find something that if the economy turns up or down, that you will have a job because your child does not understand layoff, turnover, economy. They understand that there's someone in front of them that has to feed, provide and protect them. So those pressures came in. And when the school system opportunity developed, the retirement benefits, the stability of it, the trajectory of leadership that can come, um, it just was the right decision, even though it wasn't the most lucrative as far as pay, but at least I had hours to commit, going back to the root of being that type of parent, because I didn't have to work 60 hours a week to get it done. Wow. Well, Taylor, your daughter, uh, very lucky to have a parent like you, um, I feel that that sense of responsibility, right? Really taking the like, full total responsibility of saying, okay, what do I need to establish? This has to happen. This has to happen. Um, and for you to be able to hold that, right? The needs of your daughter and also your own needs, right? Like let's, let's be real. You still had those, uh, you know, several months uh, before graduating and being able to do it all. I feel like in those situations, there's this these self-limiting beliefs that we put on ourselves thinking I can only do one or the other. It gets overwhelming, right? Life happens. And then we try to cut ourselves a, a, a break and, and it doesn't, it, it's kind of a disservice really to ourselves. And so I feel like through your experience, that shows that yes, you can make those priorities and do it for yourself, do it for those that are, you know, your loved ones. <clears throat> I think that's really important. And um, and so, you know, the work that you found yourself in, right, within education, you said that you you spoke it into existence, right, this 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 mixture, this combination of finance um, and teaching. Um, I'm just curious, like, when you stepped into the role, um, I'm sure that maybe on the technical side of, of things with maybe the, the bookkeepings and, like, the numbers parts, maybe I, I'm just kind of putting this, I, I'm thinking it might not have been the most like novel thing. Like, I mean, like you, you, you'd studied this, right. You, you were very confident um, in your abilities. Um, what was maybe one of like the ch most challenging or more surprising bits of being in that kind of schooling environment that challenged you maybe on like the leadership front or in terms of like how you interacted with other, like, you know, with other educators or just teachers or the, you know, administrators, was there something that kind of took you, by surprise or challenged you? I believe people, staff, colleagues had to accept I was a unicorn. I was 21 in this role. 
And I think that's where a lot of the conversation started and stopped. So I had to prove why I was here. Mind you, the superintendent had to recommend me to be hired. So there was a lot of questions to him. If I did fail, then that would say, well, we knew he was too young for this. And if I did not fail, then it would open up opportunities for the trajectory and the path to a position like that. So I think that was the first context. And I think about just the leadership was of a different generation. So we, I created the multi-generational workforce for them. Um, being a millennial and had baby boomers and other generations at the time, it was very difficult for them to get out of you're young enough to be my son or grandson mentality and to separate the two. So I had to deal with, are you speaking to me as a colleague or are you speaking to me as a perceived child? And I think that was the most difficult part of going into the role. And my, the consultant they hired to train me, she was retired, um, again, a different generation, and had the slightest idea of how to transcend text, context, and ensure that made sense to me in my frame of thought. Of course, we're in a generation where 21st century learning technology is at the forefront. Everything I use were from the 20th century, from the technology, the system they had, from the processes and et cetera. So there was a, a clash of what I was expected to learn, if you will, as a global uh, leader coming out of Morehouse. Then coming to this context, it was like, nope, this is the only way to do it. Just how it will look. And that provided a, a deep frustration. But what it showed me is that I was more prepared to accept norms, cultures of different people than they were. And I wasn't accepted as being a leader at the time because they said, well, oh, here's the good part. 90 days after I was hired, that superintendent was fired. Not because of me, but because he was already going out the door and I didn't know that. So when the interim took over, him and I didn't have the best relationship. Um, again, going back to the context of what do I do with this young man? You know, how do I train him? How do I develop him? I don't know what to do with a millennial in finance because I don't know if I don't know the work he's doing myself. And and I think that really opened my eyes to the openness of accepting generations, belief systems, and things of that nature. Wow, that sounds that sounds very, very difficult. And um, you know, I, I, I again I'm I'm like reminded of what you shared about your your family, right? This this grit mentality, the you know, you 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 can't you can't lose or you can't fail, right? You just gotta keep, you know, making your pathway forward. And um, and it sounds like, yeah, you, you found this excellent opportunity, but it also was this kind of like it's it's either one of two options, right, that you can you can find yourself in. Like you continue to persevere and create even more, you know, bigger opportunities or or you fail. And so it's, you know, clear, right, that you did not fail. But but perhaps, you know, through all this, you know, constant barrage from what it sounds like of um you know, doubt, maybe even like outright hostility, right? I, I mean, you didn't mention that part, but like, you know, the pressures that come onto someone who is kind of seen as outsider, um, as different, right? In the kind of like age category. Um, I think that that must have um, really forced you to to grow exponentially, right? It's like that sink or swim. Okay, you know, that's all, I'm all in, let's do it. And so, you know, definitely navigating change and putting yourself out there as a leader to say, Hey, I'm, 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 we're going to do this. Um, are you with me or are you not? I think um, really speaks to your character. And from what I've learned of those uh, who've graduated from Morehouse and their illustrious alumni, um, character is a major thing that they, they really um, honor and really foster um, through their, their curriculum and, you know, the ethos and, and what have you. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, you, you were in this environment and then 
you you tried to carry yourself as a global leader who came out of of Morehouse. Could you speak a little bit more about that, the, the phrasing of global leader um, within the context, um, you know, in your early stages, uh, you know, in that role? Um, what what did it like? What specific things um, from Morehouse um, led you to kind of cultivate this mindset of like the the more global rather than just the oh tried and true let's just stay you know in this kind of area and and do what's been done before? Yeah, uh, Morehouse recruiting methods are intentional. They create a very diverse cohort or class, and. I've had the opportunity to spend time um, with individuals from different cultures, um, beliefs, faiths that I would have never experienced if I didn't have that. So coming from rural Georgia to where the only faith and belief system was either Christianity, uh, the Baptist denomination, or this you know cultural belief system just coming from that type of setting, that's all I knew. So again, that culture shock was part of it. And I understood at that time that that was a bigger world and a different responsibility because in the workforce, they were not going to hire people that just came from my area or my neck of the woods, if you will. I had to learn to understand, to work with different personalities that were created because of what their upbringings presenting them. And I was, even in some of our um, meetings that we had as a class at Morehouse, and they were teaching us about the Renaissance man and, you know, how to prepare ourselves to be leadership ready. Those global tenants were there because we ensured that we represented everybody and that everybody's voice had a unique space to, to the development of then a man of Morehouse into a Morehouse man that is crown that we will one day grow into, grow tall enough to grow into, will be a crown that will house all those tenets of things that we learn. So when I went into this leadership role, I always challenged them to say, you expect the students to be career and college ready. And you also understand that they're not going to work with people that just look like them. You want them to be able to use the technology. You want them to be responsible, to be accepting. That means it starts with you as an individual. And if you're not willing to expand and change and develop, how dare you tell a student that this is their responsibility if you're not willing to do the same? So modeling what global responsibility and leadership look like was a challenge because as we learned that change allows people to give up something and they may not want to do that. And it becomes uncomfortable. Um, so I think bringing that type of energy uh, and changing the ethos just it was appreciated by a lot of people, but the core group that wanted to keep their system in place, it was challenging. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. I know I, I have heard of, you know, like the Morehouse man and then, you know, renaissance man as well and like I, I you know it's it speaks to the the necessary self-work that you have to do to to be a pillar for yourself to then be a pillar for others like your family and those in your workplace and um and i i i, I totally believe that that same kind of philosophy um I, I that really resonates with me um as you said right if if you're not willing to undergo that that kind of change yourself, then you're you're really being a hypocrite and telling others that they should do that, because um, then there's just no sense of trust, right? Of like, why why should I believe you? Why should I follow you? Um, modeling that kind of behavior, I think, is really really important. And um, and so from from you being able to to really grow within this kind of a you know <laughs> incubator of sorts, right? This kind of uh, this this environment, this dynamic environment. That was your college years uh, with those who have different um, backgrounds, different like political thought, religious um, practices, what have you. I think that's um, you no, know, that speaks to change. Um, so you know now considering the this term of global citizenship, was it 
during your Morehouse days when you you first came across this? Uh, or would you say that the, the term itself maybe was, you know, it was spoken of like through the Renaissance man, through what it does it mean to be a Morehouse man, some of these tenants. Um, but like, when was the, you know, when did you feel like the, the kind of term maybe came up more often within your, your workplace? Is it something that you, you reference um, on a frequent basis or is kind of on the radar, if at all? Um, and like, kind of how does that term even sit with you? Kind of what are what are your opinions about that in terms of like your your own notion of like what does it mean to grow and to to lean into change? Uh, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, at the time, the language of global citizenship or global preparedness, responsibility, those terms were not common in the educational context, um, especially in the rural Georgia, South Georgia. I believe that there was a perceived notion that it was a thing and that, hey, you know, you work with someone who is from Japan and you would need to, I mean, back up. If there was a diversity or a global reference, it was in comparison of intellect and resources. It was not compared to working together and creating a cohesion. So, when I came to my current role, ironically, our mission statement is to inspire, challenge, and prepare all students to compete globally. And the question the superintendent asked in the board had a very hard conversation about this. And they said, are we really preparing students to compete globally? And what does that look like? And that fundamental question raised concerns, joys, confusion. Are we really preparing students to compete globally? And how do we know that has been accomplished? So in this context, case in point, the leadership went um, abroad to recruit teachers um, from India, went to the country, immersed in the culture to develop a sense of camaraderie and, and respect because they were coming to the United States to work um, in, in a school system in a country that never been before. So just taking that extra step was important. Sending our students to Ireland, you know, having that experience and creating partnerships with higher education entities in order to develop that experience was important. But keeping the mission in front of any presentation we did, because anytime we speak in front of a large group, we'll lead with our mission and vision. And so we created the conditions that everybody, after a while, as we said a hundred times, we're going to pick up that while we're here and doing the business that we're doing. And we consistently frame this is what global citizenship, leadership, responsibility looks like. And this is your part in that. Um, even hosting families that come, exchange families that come from Japan and immersing them into the American culture. So that intentionality was more of a focus because the leader came from a place to where he understood the importance of that. So I think that's why my current position lends more for me to be my full and true self and bring every aspect and every tenet that I've learned and not be ashamed of saying, hey, we have to be more inclusive. And what does that inclusivity looks like? And this is how we we'll measure that. Mm. You know, thank you for sharing that. And I know the these mission statements really dictate everything that happens within the school. And so having clarity and conviction about what this mission statement means across the board and, you know, within, you know, the student body and the, the alumni and the parents, right, the whole community, I think is so critical. Um, it's amazing that, you know, they were able to send out various administrators and to, to put in the work to really understand and be open to what does the global component of this really mean. Um, I, I was struck by uh, what, I think it was a kind of referencing part of the mission statement, right, about like, what does it mean to prepare students to compete globally. And so there's this, you know, ever, it's, it's, it seems like this mounting pressure on students to compete 
not only with their, you know, local, you know, other districts and within the state of, you know, Georgia, uh, within the U.S., but now suddenly there's this abstract notion of like, and the rest of humanity. It, it seems like, yes, it, it warrants more, you know, careful thought about that because, um, you know, that that pressure can also come across as debilitating if, if handled, you know, in, in a way that is maybe irresponsible, right? Going back to how can you point to someone to say you should change when you haven't actually done that yourself, right? Then to not have that clarity. But I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, like how, uh, if, if at all, right, these conver the conversation about students' identity, uh, not only that being rooted in, in the local in, you know, community, but also this notion of like, you know, like, yeah, what is it? How have these students expanded their perspective or their own perception of themselves as maybe a global citizen um, by, I don't know, a university partnership sending over someone to, to speak with them or that maybe they did contract one of those Indian teachers. And how has that been like? How has that how has that experience been like for the Indian teacher and but also for the students? And, and I feel like there's always that kind of tension, but not in a negative sense, that creative tension of like, how is one identif identity informing the other? And of course, looking at it in a more expansive notion of like, how are we all growing and, and kind of coming to new understandings of ourselves? So I guess my question really centers on the identity aspect of like, do students, would you say, would they consider themselves as global citizens, given all the changes that have happened uh, at the kind of board level? Yeah, I, I think you would, it's not positioned for them to um, embody global citizenship. I think currently they're positioned to embrace the global aspect of what it looks like when they enter the workforce. And while those two may be connected, I think in this context, now that I kind of reflect that it would be best served if they understood the importance of citizenship and what they really meant to them. And I think going back to the teachers, the foreign teachers, and we have one teacher that also came from Jamaica, bringing their culture to the classroom is important. And they're teaching subjects that they're experts in, which helps us from a student achievement standpoint and closing those gaps. And then two, they have the chance to interact, right? And be able to really understand whether the, the accent creates this, you know, understanding barrier or whatever have you, they still are being exposed and learning what that feels like and to respect that. So even that has an intentionality of measuring, you know, how are we enforcing that? But I think I would love, I mean, I may bring this up to my senior captain the next time we meet, that could we have a global citizenship, you know, commencement to where we are charging them now to be global citizens and what that looks like and to really say that you have fulfilled the mission of this school system. So that's that's a good takeaway. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I know my, my question might, it's, just, it's really big and um, and, you know, it's not going to be, carried out by just any one individual, right? It's an insider job, of course, with uh, with all of the, the school community. Um, but I do think it, it you know, it, it seems that from that mission statement and from those important questions, you're, you're well positioned to continue pushing that because while having this kind of like readiness of um, acquiring skills to then compete globally, to be, you know, excellent students, to be, um, you know, individuals of high character, right? That that will get you far. And you know, let's be honest, you need a job. <laughs> you need you need to be qualified to get these jobs. Um, and there's always that kind of that somewhat like dread that's kind of sweeping across the nation. I would say uh, of like where are the jobs going, right? Where are the high paying jobs going? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah. Um, and so that is something that you know, of course, you would need to address. But in the same way that uh, you know your 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 own personal journey attests to, right? Um, could you raise a daughter and also start an excellent career at the same time? 
Yes, you can do both at the same time. You can do both at the same time when I when I speak of like difficult things. So I think um, you know I'm sure that um, you know you've you've already you know given thought to this, and you know if it was easy, it would have already been done, of course. But definitely in your continued le leadership, I, I I you know I I can see that this might be another thing on the agenda to to speak to, um, because yeah, it's it's. It, it at some point like needs to have like some actionable steps, of course, right? You needs to be signed off on. There needs to be some kind of like plan put out there. Um, so, I mean, a question that I have is like, when when you hear the word global citizen, I mean, well, you know, the phrase of global citizenship, um, what what would you say is kind of like your articulation of that? Like, how how would you put that into like kind of more simple language, accessible language? to those in your school community of like, this is kind of like what I mean by it, perhaps like a working definition, if you will. Yeah, I think it boils down to responsibility and respect. Uh, you have a responsibility to be inclusive, to be fair, to be understanding. And you also have to respect that there are some things that you do not understand. There are some things that are not described or prescribed from a context you are familiar with. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that there's a different viewpoint that has an opportunity for you to learn. So if I had to introduce it as a framework or, you know, I, I would say it would be centered around the responsibility of being understanding and respecting others' views and belief systems. Yeah, I, I like that. It's it it kind of is somewhat akin to like the the growth mindset, right? To not kind of shy away from difference, but to understand there's something that can be learned from it. In order to really take in, though, I feel like it's it's really a, an important practice of listening, right? Um, to kind of really be able to like, you know, have that respect of like, okay, I will give you my attention, and then to sit with that, and then. You know, have the courage to respond, um, either from a place of kind of like affirmation, or from a place of well, you know, I I hear what you're saying, and this is where I'm coming from. It it, it really becomes this exchange, uh, I think, um, in the sense of like what you know truly I think a dialogue is, um, and definitely necessary requirements of a dialogue. I. I I just wanted to echo what you said about what does it mean like global citizenship? Yeah, you need responsibility and respect. So I think that very much kind of like, you know, it completes the circle, if you will, of like how these exchanges can be taken. Um, and the fact that like, yeah, it's it's not necessarily about convincing, persuading um, the other, but to learn how to hold space maybe, right, with, with others, um, even if it feels a little uncomfortable. I think that requires a lot of courage, but, um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, one question I have, um, and, you know, this again is a little personal, but, you know, you've spoken about your, your wonderful daughter, Taylor. And so um, as a parent now, uh, and, you know, Taylor has, has, you know, grown up a little bit more, right. Still, still, I'm sure she's, you know, little, but like, um, you know, she, you've seen her grow and develop and, and what are, what are like, you know, what is something that you constantly tell your daughter uh, to kind of help inform her as she, you know, continues in her studies and, you know, in her interests, but like, what would you say um, is, is important, um, an important bit of advice that you can share with your daughter or you already have about, you know, being a global citizen, perhaps maybe it's the mind mindset that you try to encourage and still um, I'm just curious to hear. Yeah. Um, so Taylor is seven, and uh, she turns eight in February of next year. And, and my son, Tyler, he's four. And so being born in 2019, I had some practice with Taylor by then. So um, a lot of the grunt work was done when he came along, if you will, for career readiness. And I often tell them um, that when they started realizing colors of skin and you know using that as a language if you will um how to understand that the likeness of it but also not to look at it as a difference 
that is just a different shade, you know. Um, but if we all color together, then we still can make a beautiful picture because it takes different colors to paint. And so I use that as a framework, you know, when we're drawing, when we're coloring that, hey, just because this person is brown or white or whatever the case may be, in the simple terms, that gives in the context that, you know, we're all beautiful and we all have a part to play. And so uh, they're exploring um, religion in their own way. Um, so my son, he went to a uh, Christian-based uh, daycare. And so he had a lot of uh, curriculum that was developed based upon that. Uh, my mother also been a pastor and my grandmother being a minister, you know, going to church with me. I'm a musician and they're traveling with me. They then began to understand religion from what it was. So I think the next part uh, that we'll probably get into is understand the differences of religion and faith and that everyone may not believe in what you believe in. And um, so as we develop and scaffold, you know, their understanding of Christianity in their context, that'll be the next exploration because she asks a lot of questions. Um, Tyler does too. And so I'm always excited to put them in education systems that are not restricted to how they can engage the content. And so it's this has been an interesting journey for them so far. Yeah, well, interesting journey for 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 all of you, right? Um, and then you know, it, it's clear that with the the first the firstborn, there's always this kind of trial trial by fire in a way, uh, and then the second child kind of gets the the great benefit of knowing, okay, this, everything's kind of smoothed out a little bit more. Um, but yeah, the the imagery, like kind of like using language um, or the metaphor of like, okay, a painter, right, and like understanding colors and like you know the 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 shading parts of it how it makes up part of this mosaic of humanity um i think is is wonderful um and really practical for for any parent to to understand that and then um you know kind of the various different spheres uh that kind of inevitably converge when they are exposed to other children uh, who are speaking about like, oh, well, my parents talked about God, you know, in this way. And then, and then, so then inevitably the questions come up. And then, so I think, you know, understanding that, um, yeah, those questions lead to, um, you know, new, new understandings of the world. And, um, and that, yeah, she's kind of on, on this new journey herself. Uh, well, both, both of them. Um, so I think that's that's really wonderful to again model that change and understand that it's um, it's to be to be welcomed and not to be kind of like discouraged right uh, or like shut down in that way. So thank you for you know being uh, you know vulnerable in the sense of like bringing your 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 children into this conversation. Uh, I know they play a really important part of your life, um, and um, and then also again in your your work as an educator. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's just been really wonderful having this conversation with you, James. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, uh, really quickly, you know, if you have any film or book recommendations, just something that kind of comes to mind that maybe reflects certain aspects of our conversation today about global citizenship. It could be something that you come back to frequently, or maybe something that, um, you just recently kind of, you know, read or watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, this is an old film, but it's um, called Driving Miss Daisy. And uh, Morgan Freeman is one of the lead characters in it. And it's the setting is in Atlanta, Georgia, um, but it has a lot of rural aspects of Georgia, too, which is why I'm very fond of the movie. And so he's an African-American driver, and he's a chauffeur to a white Jewish woman, the older lady. And in that context, there was a lot of systemic injustices there taking place. I think it took place in the 70s, I want to say. And uh, just a lot of stereotyping. But what the picture, what the movie um, depicts is that despite the position that the world views a person and labels a person, that love and humanity still can exist because they became the best of friends. And even to their dying days, she longed for him to be there as a friend. And she finally acknowledged him as that. 
So just seeing the beauty of different religions, faith, contexts, systems, all at play, and that despite all that, he had a job to do, but because he remained focused on the humanity of it, he was able to bridge this beautiful relationship that I think that if people are struggling to figure out how do you become inclusive in the global context, that simple ride in those interchanges was such a beautiful imagery. So that would be my recommendation. No, no, I love that. The, the simple actions that, that we take, um, love and humanity by way of friendship. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I think that's, that's a spectacular way to, to end our, our conversation about global citizenship, about your journey. Um, thank you so much, James. And, you know, I, I wanted to give the last few words, any final thoughts um, that, that come up or um, anything that you'd like to, to kind of conclude our conversation with? Um, I'd love to give you the last words. No, no, thank you, Scott. I just thank you for creating this space, this platform. I believe it's important considering the context that takes place often in the world and the news is important to have a global context. And I think that my you know, parting words is not to be afraid to embrace, um, to understand, and to really appreciate. I have found boredom sometimes with eating the same type of foods in American culture. So just being able to be introduced to so many different food types because I love to eat has been a, a marvelous journey for me personally. So there's so many things you can learn just by sitting at the table with someone that just has a different way of loving. And I think um, if you can do that well, then you will truly be immersed into the global context. Thank you so much, James, once more for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciated you sharing very candidly about your journey towards uh, becoming a, an assistant superintendent and the ways in which you very courageously and deftly navigated the forks in the road that, that life had and how you ultimately were able to excel and find a place that really challenged you to become even more than what you had previously imagined and the, the ways in which your alma mater, Morehouse College, enabled you to really become that exemplar, right, that model of what it means to be a global citizen, what it means to be a renaissance man. I think that is such an incredible asset that your community has and is something that will contribute greatly to how your, your district's mission statement will continue to be expressed as a way to not only prepare them to compete globally, but to prepare them to internalize what this global connection means in their hearts. So thank you so much once again. Thank you.